for you today. Jesus Christ really is coming again. Yeah. Jesus Christ really is coming again, and I believe he's coming again soon. So a family, they were sharing a meal together after church, you know, Sunday dinner. Can you believe Sunday dinner? Anybody remember those words? Sunday dinner, huh? How could you have dinner at noontime? Pot roast and carrots, right? And potatoes, yeah. A bunch of us experienced that. Yeah, that Sunday dinner hour, where's that gone? Maybe some of us still enjoy that. Uh, but that's the way it used to be, even if you get invited to someone's house. They're enjoying dinner together when, what do you know, the topic of the sermon came up. And uh, the sermon had been on the second coming. The teenage son chimed in that, that he still had a whole bunch of questions about the Lord's return. So his dad tried his best to explain and to help his son. But after so many questions, the, the dad finally said, well, you know, we may not have all the answers that we desire but God has given us everything that we need. So the best preparation for all of us to make is to simply live each day as though it were our last. The teenage son jerked his head back and said, Dad, I tried that once and you grounded me for a month. <laughs> I think the boy had the wrong idea. <laughs> oh, dear. D.L. Moody said, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come before I preach another. Wow. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that perhaps Jesus might interrupt my work and begin his own. Then he goes on. I'm not looking for death, I'm looking for him. Yeah, amen. So that's the way we should live. We should live with this constant anticipation that uh, every day, as, as, as if this could be the day where we stand face to face with our, with our God in heaven. Boy, would that make a difference in the way we do life. Boy, should that make a difference in the way we do life. Absolutely. But we don't, we don't tend to think that way at all. We don't tend to leave room in our short-term plans, our long-term goals, uh, to allow for that space of the trumpet call of the Lord, when the trumpet shall sound and Christ shall return. Why? Oh, man, we get busy. We get so caught up in the thinking that it's been a long, long time. Life just keeps going on. But in that I've got really good news for anybody who'll hear it. Jesus Christ really is coming again. Jesus Christ really is coming again soon. Are you ready? Anybody ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So here in 2 Peter today, I see four fundamentals uh, in order to walk in victory in these last days. So I want to walk through those, starting with verse 14. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to take this just to the end of the book here. And Peter writes, <clears throat> So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, looking forward to what? Christ's return. There you go. Yeah. Make every effort. So that's the first principle of the morning right there. Be diligent. Make every effort. Be diligent to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him verse 15 bear in mind that our lord's patience means salvation there's the second one that you can be confident god has a plan things are playing out perfectly according to that just as our dear brother paul also wrote you 
with the wisdom that God gave him, God breathed, God inspired, verse 16, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. See those words there? They distort Paul's words as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. The reason I highlight that, and we'll get to the, the last two um, fundamentals here in just a moment, but I need to point this out because it's a huge statement what Peter's doing here. Notice Peter is putting Paul's writings on the same level as the ancient sacred books like the Torah and the Old Testament. This is just an amazing statement where already we see the early church is beginning to develop the canon of the Bible, recognizing that what God has given them in our Old Testament and New Testament alike is God-breathed, God-inspired. It's awesome. It's awesome to see that there as the other scriptures. Talking about Paul's writings. So what is it that people are distorting? Well, a little bit of replacement theology, this idea that God's done with the Jews and now he's creating new Jews through believers. That's a lie. As Christians, you can go to churches around, I'm telling you, that are preaching an anti-Israel message and they are disaligned with the word of God because we, as the true church, uh, and I'm not saying we're the only ones, okay? There's a number of us that still understand what's going on here, but it's being distorted. We still pray for the peace of Israel, believing the Jews are still God's chosen people, and it's fascinating to go to Israel and see God drawing Jews back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, even Ethiopians that have Jewish heritage, long-lost Jewish tribes coming home to Israel. We pray for Israel. So no replacement theology. That's already being taught. The idea of grace alone. Oh, you're covered by the blood. Therefore, how you live doesn't matter. Oh, there's plenty of scripture to discredit that kind of thinking. Or as we've been seeing, the second coming of Jesus Christ right? They're not going to come. We're going to usher in the kingdom when at last we get it right as human beings. Or circumcision of the flesh, that when you come to faith, you need to become a true Jew, man, and be circumcised in the flesh when God is wanting to circumcise our heart. All these lies are coming in. So just to highlight those. But let's get back to our fundamentals. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned here's the third one be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ there's a fourth one right there be fruitful we're not just praying for for pew sitters in church we're praying for workers in the harvest and empowered to do god's will and uh and that's what it's all about. And then he concludes, to him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. So these four fundamentals, just want to walk through them with you. Take time to do that. Number one, verse 14, be diligent. Be diligent. Notice our text begins with the words, so then, or, or therefore. In order to help us know how to move forward, Peter is pointing us back to where we've been. Talking about Jesus is coming again preparing us for those false teachings. But Jesus is coming again. There really is coming a new day. 
There is the ushering in of a new heaven and a new earth when everything will be made right and everything will be good and, and get rid of your images of sitting around on a cloud playing a harp. Friends, you dream, you imagine the best that it could be and what God has planned for those who have faith in him will exceed your wildest hopes, your wildest dreams, and your wildest imaginations. That's right, you better believe it. So run well. Run with diligence. And I give you this definition of diligence. It's a zeal that empowers us to take whatever pains are necessary to finish the task that God has given us. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of words there that he uses that might be a little bit intimidating at first glance. I mean, he says that we should practice blamelessness and, and spotlessness. But please remember Peter's writing to a persecuted church. The, the, the intensity of persecution is, is hot with Nero on the throne. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's awful. So he's not writing this to scold. He's not writing this to reprimand. He's writing it to encourage. And we see that in the third word that he uses. He says that we are to be diligent in peace with God. This is the opposite of being motivated by fear or some kind of manipulation like many of us grew up in or out of some kind of anxiety. But this is about moving in tranquility, knowing that you are in a proper, restored relationship with your Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. You accepted Him, and He has accepted you as a son or as a daughter. So in that, blamelessness and spotlessness begin to make sense because it's be diligent to walk in that which Christ has secured for you on the cross and then always walk fully exposed in the light, fully disclosed before the living God. No secrets like our politics and politicians in Washington, right? No hidden things, nothing, no cover-ups. Always remembering to practice spiritual breathing, and, and you should know spiritual breathing. Carry it with you. Exhale. It's about confession, agreeing with God about what he already knows. He knows you fail. He knows you're weak. Please keep short accounts with him and agree with him when you blow it and uh, let him cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So if you become aware of an area of your life that you've taken control of, or that you're refusing to surrender, confess that as sin, agreeing with him. And then that takes us to the second part of spiritual breathing. If you exhale, you have to inhale, which is to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that you've been trying to control your life, you're sitting on the throne of your life, but allowing him to have his proper place on that throne. Okay, so we have exhale, we have inhale, but then always, after you've done those things, practice thanksgiving always thank god every prayer with thanksgiving thank god for his forgiveness and restoration thank god for what he has secured for you on the cross be assured that not only did god begin to do a good work in your life but he will make sure that that good work is carried on to completion this is about your dependence on his goodness and not about your goodness to try to impress God. So that's exactly the second point, which is be confident. Verse 15, 
Yes, as I've been saying, be confident that the Lord will return. But 15 says, His patience means salvation. His patience means salvation. That means that His delay is on purpose and it's for a a purpose. And so in that, he says, the Apostle Paul says the same things that he's been saying. Wow, what would he have in mind? Maybe Romans 2.4, where Paul said, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Amen? Or 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that says, God wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of God. So I want to give praise to God right here. I want to give God praise for his great patience toward me. I I want to give God praise that his patience means salvation. I I want to give God praise that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not a heavy hand. See, that's my story. God could have stepped in at any moment. He could have looked me right in the eye. He could have said, I've had enough of this guy. I'm tired of his promises, promise, 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 and never holding up to the promises he he makes for me. Everything he does, he does out of selfish motives or some selfish motives. And when it comes to all of his complaining, he doesn't nearly give me the thanks or give me the glory that he should. So take him away, give him what he deserves. And, And that's what I deserve. I deserve the due penalty for my sin i always cringe when people talk about what they deserve because i know what i deserve and anything else is a gift for which i can only say thank you god for the gift that's right god waited for me god brought a kid named pete davidson to robinson elementary school back in the fifth grade in tucson arizona we used to call pete Old everything under control Pete. That was his nickname. Old everything under control Pete because he demonstrated an absolute peace, an absolute confidence that said, come what may, somehow it all works out in the end. That was Pete. Thank God for him. Not me. There was a degree to which I was trained to be operating in fear. Better believe it. That's the way life is when you're trying to keep everything in your control. It just doesn't work. It's the, it, it's the idea that if I'm not strong enough, if I'm not smart enough, if I'm not independent enough that I just might drop behind in this rat race called life or that someone might get something that should have been mine or that I could potentially lose it all, lose the position I gained, lose what I've established. See, Pete's outlook said, It all works out. Somehow, it all works out. Me? No. Things don't always work out. Things are not going to be okay. I have to be diligent to protect what is mine. Well, guess what happens when you think you're in control of all your stuff? Huh? Yeah, that's right. The very thing you're trying to keep from happening begins to happen. By, by virtue of you trying to control it all, it all starts to unravel. It all starts to fall apart and come tumbling down. It's like trying to build a house of cards in front of a box fan. Yeah, makes you want to cry. It just doesn't work. It's like trying to hold 
a hundred marbles in your fingers. <laughs> they just keep slipping out, don't they? And, and I mean, the most you can end up with is 10 or 15, but you've lost a bunch. No matter how hard you try, you can't keep a hold of all your marbles. <laughs> I've lost a bunch of my marbles over life. <laughs> but praise God, he allowed me to get close enough to a guy named Pete. Took a while. He started dating his wife, seventh grade. Our senior year, his mom, her mom died of liver disease. She was a heavy alcoholic. Uh, Lisa was forced to go live in Saudi Arabia with her two-star general dad. So all of a sudden, I, I have time with Pete, and he's inviting me to Bible studies and such. And, and I began to see what fed his peace and confidence. He really had a faith in God that worked. I didn't. <laughs> he really believed that God was for him, and God wasn't against him he really believed that he himself owned absolutely nothing because everything was God's so what's the big deal in trying to hold on to stuff that isn't yours in the first place he really believed that God was in control he really believed that God was working all things together for his good man what a place to live what an assurance for, for life, he could have joy even in the midst of the worst storms. He could have confidence in the, in the, in the most uh, blatant threats of life. And I saw it, and I wanted what Pete had. And God allowed me to get close enough to see that his strength was in the Lord, that he had a faith in his Heavenly Father and a relationship with his Heavenly Father bought, brought to him by the price Jesus paid on the cross. I'm glad God was patient with me. Anybody else glad about his great patience? Yeah. Have you heard the, uh, the, the, the old saying, let go and let God? There's actually a, a story behind that, and it goes like this. that Back in the 19th century, a college student took some three-by-five cards and, and put a large letter on each one of them spelling L-E-T-G-O-D. And then he displayed them on a shelf for anyone coming into his room to see. But one day, a wind blew through the window and knocked the D off the end of the phrase. As he was bending over to pick up the D, he felt like God spoke right to him because when he looked up and looked at his D, he saw, let go, and he saw, let God. The key to all life, right there, let go. What stuff you hold on to, it's stealing life. The more you've got, the more you've got to protect. Let it all go and let God rule supreme. Be confident. Jesus Christ really is coming again soon. His delay is about his patience. His delay is about his kindness. There's another Michael Descoli out there somewhere, or maybe even here today, that is still in need of a relationship with their Heavenly Father and still needs to know the source of life that you've been given. He's patient. Praise God. That's confidence. Number three, be on guard. It's, it's ready, ready. Verse 17, and we've talked about this at length over the past several weeks. We alluded to it as we read our text today. But let's just say it one more time for the sake of, of helping us all to remember that there are those 
who will want to confuse the message of grace, the message of salvation. Please know, Satan is the author of confusion. God isn't. God brings clarity. All the confusion comes from the enemy. There are deceivers, and deceivers always start with truth. They always start with just enough truth. I love to fish, you know, if you can make that lure look like the real thing enough to convince that fish, you've got them hooked, right? Just enough truth to trip them up. They may go into some amazing story about some vision. They might have some false sense of of positive thinking. They may talk about a dream or some kind of experience that they've had, but in reality, it is nothing more than a lie. Friends, Don't let anyone knock your eyes off Jesus. Be on your guard. Then number four, be fruitful. Verse 19, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep those two things in balance. Some folks are so far on the grace side that they're vulnerable to buy into all sorts of lies and find themselves ineffective in the Christian life because they're entrapped and entangled by their own lust and their own flesh, which... Jesus came to deliver us of that stuff. But there's others on the other side who are so into knowledge that all it does is feed spiritual pride, right? They're big hats, their own glory. Therefore, they're impatient with others. They're unloving of others. They're judgmental of others. We don't want to be there either. So we need to walk in truth, always celebrating the reality You know, that we're all sinners, I'm the worst, and thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said these words, The doctrine of the second coming has failed so far as we are concerned if it does not make us realize that every moment of every year in our lives poses the question, what if this present were the world's last night? What if it was? So how do we respond? How do we operate in this diligence that we've talked about? Well, I just want to give you this acronym quickly with hopes that it'll help you to hold on to what we've been hearing these last three weeks. The H, hold on to what you already know. Hold on to what you already know. We get so caught up in thinking if we just had more knowledge of the scriptures, if we just had more revelations, if we just had more disciplines or more aesthetic experiences, then we could be effective believers. But friends, please know your pastor's heart. Why do we always have all eyes on Jesus? It started with Colossians 2.6. Hear what the word says here under this H where it says, As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so, and I'm adding, because this is what it says in the original language, continue to walk in Him. The same faith that saved you will keep you. Rooted, it's what's going on below the surface that nobody can see. Built up, it's what's coming out of the deeper work. And established in faith, just as you were taught, always abounding again and again in thanksgiving. Yeah, that's the H. Hold on to what you know. Second, open your eyes and your ears. There will be deceivers. Please, don't just pay attention to what these teachers say. Pay attention to what they don't say. 
Do they deny the authority of God's word? Do they deny the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Do they deny Christ's mission to seek and to save the lost by only focusing on personal growth or proselytizing other Christians to a new way of thinking because of some new revelation? And the best way to spot a lie is to know the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. He will give you all the discernment you need. You keep running toward him. He is the prize, right? If you're going to be distracted to the right or to the left, let it be a distraction that you see God working in someone's life and you're like, come with me and let's run to him together. Yeah, amen. That's the O. The P, purpose to live a godly life. And I can't apologize for that. It's just too common of a theme throughout the scriptures. God loves you just the way you are. Did you hear that? God loves, we could add, God loves you and accepts you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay there. He's, a, he's preparing you for an eternal kingdom. And bottom line, what does he want to perfect you in? Not all the legalities of the church, not imposing all kinds of duty on you. He wants to perfect you in love. Love for him, love for others. So when we get annoyed with other people, we're not manifesting the greater work. Those are the things to repent on. When, when, we, when we find ourselves surprised by glory and we're reaching out beyond ourselves with a kindness that is a fruit of the Spirit, be amazed. Let him do his work in you. Purpose, the godly life. Purpose to be perfected in love. And I love that list in Galatians chapter 5 because when it says the fruit of the spirit is love as opposed to the deeds of the flesh sexual immorality impurity debauchery the things we see the world celebrating today it's not the fruit of the spirit that's quite the opposite the fruit of the spirit is love and then he gives us eight attributes of love i believe love joy peace patience Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, let him do that work in you. The E, expect Christ's return. I've got really good news for anybody who will hear it this morning. Jesus Christ really is coming again. Jesus Christ really is coming coming again soon and when he does we will be caught up together with him in the clouds and so we will be at the lord forever so stand on tiptoe and get ready for jesus's return i've got to read to you these words from first thessalonians 4 where paul gives us the supporting evidence of what he just said listen to this for the lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
And so then, yeah, yeah, awesome. So then I just take you back to where Peter concluded this text, and he concludes his book, to him, to Jesus. Be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to the end of yourself and realized that you're kind of in a pig pen doing life that doesn't make any sense? Like you're walking in thick, gooey mire and there's no way out. Turn around and come to Jesus. Come home to your Heavenly Father through Christ Jesus, your Lord. It's so simple. God's not as concerned about how eloquent you are with your words as much as he's concerned about the attitude of your heart. And if it's your desire to know him, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for showing me how desperately I need you. Thank you for taking my sins upon yourself and carrying them to the cross. Lord, thank you for making a way of restoration with my Heavenly Father. Today, I repent. I turn from doing life my way. I want to do life your way. Come into my life. Take the throne of my life and make me the person you want me to be. If that's the desire of your heart, right now Jesus has come in because you've opened the door. Believe it by faith and thank him often. We're going to have the prayer partners come in just a little bit. And if you've made that decision, come and tell them or tell somebody you're with. Share that good news because it's the most important decision you will make in your life. But all of us, all of us today, right now, would you just pray these simple words? Father, what is it that you're wanting me to hear from this teaching today? What is it you're wanting me to hear? And will you, in response, say to him, yes, Lord, yes, Lord.